We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Napa know-how. The Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. It's our first episode of 2016. Derek Van Riper here with Mario Puig, which will be the case each and every Friday afternoon from here on out. Kind of a take two for us. We also host the SiriusXM show for Roadwire on uh, Friday mornings from noon to two Eastern time. So if you want to hear even more of us, that's where you can find us. If you don't want to pay for a SiriusXM subscription, 
that's cool too. You can listen to this podcast for free. Uh, all we ask is that if you like it, you please leave us a nice review that goes a long way towards uh, helping us keep the lights on over here because I think it helps us find more listeners. More listeners means uh, more money, which doesn't really actually mean a lot of money, but enough, to, again, to keep the lights on. We're down to one one light. Is, are there two over there or is there one? It's one half of like a two-paneled light, and then there's a, a two panels totally out on the other side of the room. Literally, you would be helping us keep the lights on if you leave us uh, a nice review. Le- leave us nice reviews and uh, send snacks, please. We, we really do need snacks, so if you would like to send us like a nature box or something like that. We that's would a, that's an Oregon that. reference. Yeah. Really? Yeah. They, I think they were like, send snacks, please. We, oh. didn't, we didn't bring enough snacks. Uh, and we're out in the wild. There's only wildlife out here. We need snacks. Wildlife, yeah, it's not quite a snack. It's a full, full meal if you get into that. All right, so let's kick things off with a, a current event, a big one that people have been tracking for a long time. And you uh, you got a little upset, I felt like, during the XM show when I, when I suggested that Deflategate may actually be over because by suggesting that it may actually be over, I'm probably somehow reviving the carcass you kind of you kind of might have because i saw like on the ticker like the the players union was going to uh appeal to the supreme court on behalf of brady i don't even know if they're allowed to do i don't know what any of this means but apparently there's there's somebody trying to get it to the the top level it's like supreme court let's get clarence thomas's opinion on this well the 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 thing about it too is i've been wondering all along if the the conspiracy to not hear the nomination of merrick garland actually has something to do with merrick garland's rooting interest in the nfl and actually nothing to do with the political spectrum uh geez i don't know this is possible this is is some deep info info wars stuff that i'd have to look into and get back to you about but this is the type of conspiracy that the nfl thrives on so for for it to go this deep would actually be like kind of amazing and not all that surprising but no the deflate gate thing may may finally be over brady's accepting his suspension the coverage of it might not be over but, oh, yeah. but but it's but Brady for 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 his part Brady is is stopping with the appeals process which means four games of Jimmy Garoppolo which I think means uh, an Indian summer as they like to call it. Uh, does that mean er, late? What, what does that mean again? I think that means warm weather for longer. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. Man. I mean, I hope I hope he uh, stays away, and I hope the players' union doesn't appeal on his behalf because. Uh, this, this this needs to stop yeah warm falls are nice too so I'll, I'll take the indian summer as they call it i think that might be a term that we need to retire at some point in the not so distant future probably should have been retired long ago but jimmy garoppolo taking over uh impact on the receivers impact on gronk impact on the offense as a whole how do you see this uh, impacting the patriots in these first four games I really doubt they'll change anything. I, like I, in terms of the results, those will be different, but I think their approach will be the same. And I think that it'll it'll be hard for Garoppolo to like really tank that offense on his own. He's he's been he's going into his third year working with Bill Belichick and all their their other coaches, obviously. But um, he's he's someone who's got enough experience at this point, and his his showing will be so brief that I think he can overachieve if necessary for that amount. And, you know, it's possible he's good. I, I just don't think he is, but it's possible. And I don't think he needs to be that good to be good enough. Yeah, the Patriots 
handle personnel as well as any organization in the league, as we've talked about time and time again. As we love to say. And that's why we we hate the Patriots outside of New England, right? If you're not a Patriots fan, you hate them because you're jealous of their success. I think you're right. They're going to adapt the offense in a way where the the subtle changes they make are just going to be ways to make Jimmy Garoppolo successful. As far as his fantasy value goes, honestly, I'd, I'd look at him more is like a 12 to 15 range quarterback in the early weeks. And then of course, with the job going back to Tom Brady, once the suspension is over, then of course he goes back to being on the waiver wire. But as far as your two quarterback leagues go, I mean, there's a handful of guys I would definitely want to uh, pass up on to go get Garoppolo. I mean, you start talking about like an Alex Smith type in the early weeks. I'd much rather take the chance on Jimmy Garoppolo than commit to the always vanilla Alex Smith. Right, but what is a four? Like, I, I understand, you know, getting him, but uh, I feel like you would only take him after all those like clear starters go, just because. You, what what is, what is four weeks of marginally superior production to Alex Smith really worth? Well, would you go if you think of it this way? Like, if you paired Garoppolo and Jay Cutler as your last quarterback, then you'd have Cutler versus Smith once the Garoppolo uh, hold on the job comes to a close like that's that's the question like is it is it more logical to invest more cheaply in the second quarterback after the suspension for Brady ends than it is to uh, you know not deal with that situation at all that's what it comes down to yeah I mean I haven't played in any two quarterback leagues so my opinion is useless but I I guess what I would try to do is like get him a little like get a roster that I otherwise like first and then like try to sneak him in a little bit earlier perhaps than Maybe he was expected to go and then immediately try to flip him before week one even starts to somebody who, you know, went into the league with uh, a perilously thin group or just, you know, a really bad second quarterback or whatever. Because, um, yeah, it's just like he'll, he'll be useless after four weeks, you know. So. So, so looking at the New England offense with and without Brady, the receiving core and the tight ends, of course, you look behind Rob Gronkowski. Now you have Martellus Bennett. Uh, the receiving core looks very similar to last year at the top with Edelman and Amendola. But then Chris Hogan is part of the mix. Uh, Keyshawn Martin is there. Nate Washington might make the roster. Malcolm Mitchell is in the hunt for a roster spot. Oh, he'll make the team. So how do you see the receivers and tight ends shaking out value-wise? Gronk's going to be Gronk, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's the one constant. Edelman, when healthy, is Brady's second favorite target. So I don't know if much changes there. But do you see a third option being viable week to week or do you see it being kind of a classic Patriots approach where you know some weeks it's going to be Amendola because the matchup dictates the Amendola underneath is the right option occasionally it's going to be Bennett because against some weaker linebacker you know he'll pick them apart and then just week to week trying to rely on Amendola Bennett and even Chris Hogan might prove to be really difficult well yeah it's it's, it's always going to be Gronk one or 1a Julian Edelman 1b and then the rotating parts is the, after those two, and those those that rotation can sometimes be dictated by injuries on the part of Gronkowski or Edelman. Other times, yeah, it might be uh, schematic based or just for just chaos purposes. Uh, if Belichick is is feeling that way that Sunday, uh, but yeah, I guess at this point, I would have to bet on Hogan being the third, uh, the second receiver, uh, third busiest pass catcher. I think Martellus Bennett has a pretty good chance of being the top 12 tight end in fantasy just because he's a he's very talented 
B, Bill Belichick knows how to use tight ends, and I don't think they would have acquired him unless they intended to use him, uh, particularly given that they didn't really make an effort to add much to their receivers. Mitchell, they took in the fourth round. So, uh, yeah, Nate Washington, though, he's a guy who's been written off his whole career and somehow keeps maintaining relevance in ways that no one ever expects him to. He might just be really good and, and just not, you know, a star. Like, he might just be a very good role player who can thrive in a situation like this where you have unusually good scheming and an unusually good quarterback. So I guess I would, I would guess the the second receiver for me is Hogan. And uh, after that, I mean, I'm, I'm just not counting on Amendola to stay healthy and I don't think he's that great. And then after that, probably Washington, but I won't be trying to acquire him in drafts or anything like that. He's just someone I'll probably be watching very closely in their first game. So if you get a bag of snacks and a flashlight and start looking through the Rotowire archives and you look back at uh, Nate Washington, you're probably going to find a Washington will be in a comp- in competition for a spot on the 53-man roster oh, yeah. note for like five years running. And, and he hangs around and he finds a way to get a, a respectable number of receptions and having a occasional PPR utility for maybe those ravaged by injuries or struggling with bye weeks at certain points but yeah you're right people have been counting him out really since he came into the league almost yeah yeah and he's he's only had over 100 targets twice in his career but both of those years were pretty good um he that's the issue though of course he's not going to get 100 targets in new england it's it's more of those he'll probably be just a dfs interest really like there's there's going to be some week where you the you can project the New England passing game to push for like 350 yards and you, you might want to put him in as a GPP play, especially or if, if Fettelman's out, he could be just straight up reliable in season long too. the GPP Nate Washington at like 3000 in the flex spot on DraftKings seems right. like that would be a thing that would happen. Chris Hogan, uh, I mean, in Buffalo never had more than 41 catches in a season. Didn't miss a game in three years. So you, you already have to like, the durability that he brings to the table listed at six one two ten, played college ball at Monmouth. Where does he rank on the Hogan cheat sheet? It's a three man cheat sheet for me. It's Kevin Hogan, Hulk Hogan and Chris Hogan. Who's at the top of that list for you? Well, uh, I, you know, I love my irony and such things, but I, I can't, I Hulk Hogan is a lame guy. So he's in last, uh, Kevin Hogan, not a great quarterback, but he seems like a good fellow. Um, we can, we can put him at one and, uh, Chris Hogan at two, just because I don't really know much about him, but he he is pretty intriguing for that offense. Like his athleticism workout numbers check out. Uh, and he's interesting because he's like 220 pounds, which, uh, you know, that, w- that would traditionally project for like the Brandon LaFell side of it. But if he's more efficient than LaFell, if he actually catches the ball, you know, might be better results even. Yeah, if we were excited about Brandon LaFell in previous years, it would stand to reason that based on role alone, Chris Hogan is therefore interesting. Uh, if we were counting uh, Hogan's of the past, Ben Hogan would be in the mix and probably number one on this cheat sheet, of course. A uh, fantastic golfer uh, from years ago. But moving on to some other AFC East-related matters. Uh, the Dolphins, kind of interesting. You think about this team with Adam Gaze, its head coach, much better spot to be in uh, from a coaching standpoint than they were a year ago with Joe Philbin. The personnel in the offense is mostly unchanged. It's Kenyon Drake now as the number two running back behind Jay Ajayi with the departure of Lamar Miller. Still have Jarvis Landry. Got Devontae Parker in year two. Kenny Stills is back. They drafted Leonte Carew out of Rutgers. Still Ryan Tannehill under center. And tight end still features Jordan Cameron and Deion Sims. With this cast of characters, 
How much success can the Miami offense have now that Adam Gaze is the head coach? Well, they could have quite a bit. I, I don't, I don't really have any insight as to how, like what kind of scheme and pace they plan to run at. But the thing about Gaze is he's, he's been in, he's used multiple types of personnel and succeeded across those personnel types. He's not like one of these guys who I need guys for my system. He's pragmatic and, and in a smart way. It's not like a randomness. He just, he doesn't just like change personnel or change a scheme like as a guest, like he figures out what makes sense and like executes it to this point in his career anyway. So whatever the, if they're, it's basically like if the dolphins can be good at something, I trust gaze more than most coaches to figure out what that thing is and then see it through. So, uh, Tannehill has been disappointing. Obviously he doesn't really, he doesn't really read downfield very well. Um, his accuracy downfield has lacked very athletic, but he hasn't turned into the running threat that we wanted him to, or expected him to. And, uh, but the thing is, like, he this is this is a gaze like kind of had success with Tebow, right? So we can, we can expect better things than that. And I kind of am, I'm kind of optimistic about gaze like getting a little bit more rushing production out of Tannehill, if only because it makes sense. Like Tannehill was a, a good re- wide receiver at Texas A&M before they moved him back to quarterback. And then aside from that, he does have a lot of help at wide receiver. Their wide receiver top four is about as good as any in the league, I I think. Um, and I'm not even as high on Jarvis Landry as a lot of people are at this point. But yeah, even in the tight ends too, like Deion Sims is a backup. He's very athletic. Jordan Cameron's very athletic. I think there's a lot of pieces to help Tannehill. And I, and I think Gase will, you know, generally get him to, to overachieve, or at least he's one of the few people capable of getting him to overachieve if it's possible. Is Devonte Parker the receiver you want based on price in drafts this draft season? Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's different in PPR. I haven't looked quite closely on, you know, what, I, what I think about PPR ADP with those two, but in, in like the long term, like in, in dynasty, I definitely prefer Parker. Parker to me can kind of be like 85% of what AJ green is, which is still, you know, potentially like a top 12 or 15 receiver. So I, I like Parker a lot. Landry, I liked a lot coming into the league for like what he was, but I feel like like making a workhorse receiver out of him doesn't really make much sense when he's averaging, you know, about as much as much yardage per target as like a Larry Centers or something like that. Um, so, yeah, he's he's great for PBR. I just feel like he would be more efficient if they reduced his role. And I kind of expect that to happen. Like I can imagine I can imagine Landry finishing the year with like 90 catches instead of 110. But he averages eight yards a target instead of you know 6.25 or whatever it was last year. Larry Centers, you brought him up, so now we got to talk about him. <laughs> have you ever seen anyone wearing a Larry Centers jersey? I might have in the '90s, but I haven't. No, that'd be a fantastic get. Like, we I should would, get we should get Tim uh, a Buffalo Bills Larry Centers. Uh, uh, what do you call that? Custom jersey? Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can do that. I mean, that was the late part of his career. Looking at it, I, I kind of forgot that he spent two seasons Arizona in Washington. First? Yeah, he was okay. Arizona. Uh, he was there when they made the big transformation from being the Phoenix Cardinals to the Arizona Cardinals, which I'm okay. sure was not really a transformation at all. But uh, yeah, you look back, he had, a, he had two years, 95 and 96 combined. He caught 200 passes. He had 101 and then 99 and then PPR in those two monster. seasons. Yeah, he, he would have been like an RB2 in PPR. Well, I remember on like Sega Genesis, like NFL 95 and then the Deion Sanders primetime football, like Larry, San- Larry Sanders was the guy you just dumped the ball off to and he could just, he could do work. Yeah, no, he was he was actually pretty good, especially because it was like he was on a bad Arizona team where it, it wasn't like he was just catching you by surprise. It was like he was kind of their offense uh, along with uh, 
Garrison Hurst there, wasn't Frank it? Frank Sanders and such. Yeah, Frank <laughs> Sanders, Rob Moore, I think was Rob in there. Rob Moore, right, yeah. So they had some they had some fun players back then. Fun yeah. with the an eye roll, of course. Uh as far as the Dolphins running game goes, Jay Ajayi now taking over as the lead back. I, I know you liked him coming out of Boise State. What do you think he can do with the starters volume of carries? I mean, I'm expecting like 225 plus carries this year for Jay Ajayi. Right. So I've seen a lot of people are pretty sour on Ajayi at this point, and I don't really understand why, unless it's that they're basing it on Kenyon Drake getting picked in the third round. Um, one of the first running backs picked in the draft that maybe like the third picked, I can't remember, but I just, I just don't think Kenyon Drake is that good. And the, the comparison I keep making is he remind he's like the running back version to me of Brandon Tate, who went in the third round to uh, the Patriots, I think took him and he ended up playing for the Bengals a little bit, but he came into the league as basically just known as like a fast guy with high expectations in college that never quite were met due to injury. And he's a really good returner, but otherwise not polished at his primary position. And Drake, given you watch him play, he's not, he doesn't look like a, a running back, like a, he doesn't look like a prototypical running back in just the way he plays on the, the way he navigates the field. Uh, he's a bit impatient with blockers. Doesn't seem to under, doesn't seem to like let blockers interact with the defense and, you know, make his running decisions based on how they interact with the defense. He kind of just goes wild running and he's tough to catch in the open field. But if you've got contain on him, I don't know that he's going to get out of it in any way. And he pretty much reduces the field to the guy in front of him and tries to just juke that guy. You know, Reggie Bush at USC, basically. And, like, that didn't work so well. And he's not as talented as Reggie Bush. So I think he's not going to be more than, like, a third down back. And, I, I, as you said, I do like Ajayi. But, yeah, for me, it's like even if Ajayi is not that great, even if he's not as good as I thought, and even if his, you know, as long as his knee isn't a problem, which is why we thought he fall, fell to the fifth round of his draft, as long as that knee isn't a problem, I just don't think there's anyone good enough to, to toss him aside. And if there is anyone, I would bet on Damian Williams before Kenyon Drake. Yeah, that's interesting because Damian Williams will cost pretty much nothing to go after right. in drafts right now. Let's talk Buffalo and the Bills running back situation now. Carlos Williams getting suspended for four games, uh, really opening the door for extra volume for LaShawn McCoy to begin the season. I know you and I talked about McCoy uh, for a brief period last Friday on the XM show. McCoy right now seems like the I didn't get a running back in the first 20 picks so now I'm going to get a guy that should be pretty good on a per carry basis and should be a contributor really on all three downs especially to begin the year with yeah. Williams out of the fold yeah and uh to me he's more like a top I I, I would I would I would probably take McCoy over Devontae Freeman straight up like I, I he's not necessarily like a top 12 running back to me but he's definitely higher than where he's been going. I see he's up to 15 in the um, in that NFFC. That, that price is ridiculously low, 46th yeah. overall. So that's almost falling out of the fourth round in cases. Um, that's yeah, that's that's ridiculous. Like I've in, in the Vegas draft that we did, I ended up with Demarco Murray with my like oh oh crap, I didn't guess when the running back run would start, and I think I had to take him with my, my third pick or something. I wanted McCoy, but he went before that. So, uh, but yeah, those two are similar to me in that way. Like the people are just so bitter about how they were last year when both of them cost so much more last year. And it's like, even if they meet the middle ground between last year's expectations and like last year's results at the current price that they're going, it's like a clear edge over, in my opinion, you know, stuff like Rawls or, uh, 
Yeah, Devontae Freeman. Yeah, C.J. Anderson. I mean, Devontae Freeman's going 15th in terms of ADP right now. In PPR, so. that's obviously very different. But yeah, yeah, it's full point full point PPR, of course, in the NFFC. So that's yeah, part of yeah. the reason the gap is where it is. But even with that, McCoy can catch some passes. Like, Yeah, I guess maybe it doesn't matter to me. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, McCoy, McCoy is so good. Like, I... It's hard to tell just like what everybody's reasoning is with these rankings and like how they differ from person to person. But it's like maybe McCoy, maybe McCoy's price tag is down because people are like, oh, he he hates police or something or, you know, from that that fight in Philadelphia where it, it sounds like by all accounts, it it was at least like both sides provoking and not like McCoy just went up and started getting in a fight or something because he's not going to get any charges out of it. Um, but yeah, it's like that. And like people were kind of bitter about his injuries last year and they're probably distrustful, understandingly so of, uh, understandably so of the Buffalo offense in general. But yeah, this guy's really good. Um, he's 28. He'll be, he just turned 28. So he's had a big workload to this point, no doubt, but like, he's not, he's not a pro he's two years away from 30 and he still looked good last year. He, and he averaged more yards per carry than he did in f- his last year of Philadelphia. And as you said, he's, he's, he is one of the best pass catching backs in the league. So yeah, I, I don't understand why he's going as late as he is, but I would definitely be buying at the price we're seeing at the moment. Now, initially nothing's going to change at quarterback. Tyrod Taylor is going to be the guy to start the year that did draft Cardell Jones. That's probably more for the future than for 2016. Yeah. But you start looking at the receivers and the, and the tight ends here. Sammy Watkins, you know, on a per target basis was outstanding. The concern I have and the concern that many people have uh, is tied to the foot surgery he had back in May. He just started running about a week ago, back on the 8th of July, I think was the first time he ran. I have a lot of concerns about his durability already. And then you add in this latest foot surgery from the offseason. And I think I'm staying away from Watkins at his current price. Yeah, the foot injury is a major concern for me. Like, it's a it's a concern for me in the case of Thomas Rawls, and this is so much more recent. So I I, I have no medical knowledge. I don't know what the what the surgery really means. Um, I guess I should be looking up Jeff Stotts's article right now, or wh- wherever he most recently commented on Watkins. But for, for me, I'm not even worried about his other durability thing so much. I think it's I, I would probably just chalk it up to bad luck for the most part. I don't think he really had much injury trouble, or if he did, he played through it all at Clemson. So. That's that doesn't worry so much, but the foot man, foot foot surgeries are bad. They're not good at all. Like I can't remember many times that the story didn't end in like at least like a disappointing fashion. Um, but yeah, I, I, I okay. Actually, I just pulled up Jeff's. Our fast internet has allowed me to load this. Um, Elite speed internet, like yeah. four four forty speed internet. So what 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 Jeff? quickly he blurbed that uh like he has a decent chance of being ready for week one that's not good enough for me like decent chance of being ready for week one coming back from a foot surgery that sounds to me like 12 games played um either because of uh, he just isn't ready for week one or he comes back and like other problems come up because other problems will usually come up uh if your foot isn't strong then you're gonna have problems in your every other joint in your leg pretty much so yeah, I'm, I'm, I think Sammy Watkins is an awesome, awesome talent. I, I was higher on him than most people and most people were probably too high on him, but, uh, I, th- I think he's great, but I don't trust his foot at all. So with Watkins potentially in a position to miss time, whether it's initially or at some point later, I mean, if you're not as active as you could be throughout the entire off season, you maybe have more weakness in your legs, more susceptible to a hamstring or 
quad sort of injury, something along those lines, all sorts of different ways it could go wrong. You look at the rest of the receiving core, I don't see a whole lot to get excited about. I mean, Robert mm-hmm. Woods, Desmond Lewis, Leonard Hankerson, Greg Salas, like, am I missing something further down there? Like, is there a name that really kind of jumps out there that could stand out and, and maybe emerge to take on a significant target volume if Watkins does miss some time? Not really. I mean, there's Jarrett Boykin and Marcus Easley. Marcus Easley's been around that team forever, but he's, I don't think if he's, like, played at all. Um, but, yeah, uh, Boykin, I guess. Uh, I don't think Greg Little's going to do anything. Devonte Allen is an undrafted rookie out of Marshall that I like a bit, but I don't not in any way that makes him you know redraft uh, redraft relevant. So uh, yeah, it's it's just kind of bleak. I would guess it's going to be like the, the most of the volume gets funneled to Robert Woods and Charles Clay with pretty awful efficiency returns. Yeah, that does seem pretty likely. A lot of Charles Clay could be the the pattern. So in a full point PPR league, perhaps he's a viable wait on a tight end guy or a mix and match tight end guy, depending on how the game flow is going to go for Buffalo in any particular week. Uh, otherwise you look at the bills. I mean, anything else of, of note that you see on this roster and they would make you more or less excited about them than you would have been a year ago. Not really. I, I do like Tyrod Taylor, but I feel like he's got to regress a little bit from either. I don't know. They, they have to call more pass plays for him or the passing production is going to go down because he, I feel like last year was pretty close to the best case scenario for his, uh, his per attempt numbers. But yeah, otherwise I guess maybe a deep sleeper at receivers, this Desmond Lewis. I can't quite remember. He was a small school guy who had a little bit of hype going into the pre-draft process and basically just didn't test as well as, Oh, my internet went out. Um, (laughs) well, I was going to find out his uh, workout numbers, but, uh, I guess I'm not going to now. Anyway, he's, he's at least like a pretty big receiver. So if, if we're looking for like a red zone by default, you know, kind of like a, a, a regular season Chris Matthews maybe maybe he might be that guy but yeah otherwise it's it's just McCoy for me in that offense yeah Desmond Lewis 6'4 214 seventh round pick out of central Arkansas four five eight forty. Uh, so yeah grades out as weak compared to other receivers 6'4 right 6'4 okay yeah so, so that's interesting I mean good catch radius I would assume pretty yeah. good wingspan so you have to like that Gotta watch him and Boykin I guess for whoever's got the just awful in the place of Sammy Watkins lead big guy role. I couldn't figure out why Jarrett Boykin had such a difficult time cracking the roster in Carolina last year after Kelvin Benjamin went down like that. That just seemed strange. Like I thought Boykin would actually have some relevance last year. I, I didn't think all of his production in green Bay was simply the result of being in an Aaron Rodgers led offense. I thought he actually was a useful depth receiver and the Panthers really didn't see him that way. I think the problem is his athleticism, even at his young age, is probably like the same or worse than old age James Jones. It has to be. That's, like, that's, that's the choice they like, made. Like he's basically like thirty-two year old James Jones that doesn't get any free agency interest, like but eight years younger. That's uh, that's a that's a pretty bleak outlook. And yet he still might be somehow uh, relevant with the Buffalo offense. Might so. might be the third best receiver on the Bills depth chart, depending on how things shake out. Uh, One last team to get to in the AFC East. Of course, it's the Jets who somehow still haven't re-signed Ryan Fitzpatrick. If the season started tomorrow, Geno Smith would be under center for the Jets. Uh, New look at running back Matt Forte in, Chris Ivory out. Depth options pretty similar. Bilal Powell still there. Uh, Kiri Robinson now also in the mix. Zach Stacey still on the roster. We'll see if that holds up as the season gets closer. 
of the receiving core. It's still Marshall, still Decker, and then Devin Smith as the three. Jason Morrow as the lead tight end. Kellen Davis not going anywhere either. Uh, so, okay, what's the deal? Why haven't they brought back Fitzpatrick yet? It's going to happen before training camp, right? Well, who, I, I don't know. Maybe they don't have enough money left over after paying Muhammad Wilkerson today. I, sure. I don't really know. I mean, it's it's weird that Fitzpatrick is like, unless they're just like totally giving him an insulting offer. Uh, I don't know why he's playing that much hardball with them unless he just isn't really interested in playing anyway. It's like, this is, this is like the, you would think he'd be all high on himself after last year, but it's almost like he knows like, no nah, man, I'm going to crash back down to earth. I don't care that much. Um, but yeah, if they don't have the money to pay him what he wants, it's not like anybody else is going to do it. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know what the alternative is. I mean, he's a smart guy. Where did he go to school? Harvard. Harvard. Is, is, that, is that how it's pronounced? Is that what it's called? Is it pronounced Harvard or Harvard? Uh, I think it's Harvard. Just Harvard. Yeah, okay. he uh, went there and is a very, very smart, very smart boy. And uh, we love him for that. But I don't know if he's going to play this year then. I think the absence of Fitzpatrick, if he doesn't sign with the Jets, if he sits out this year, signs with somebody else, waits until the season starts, that actually could hurt Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker. I think it actually is a downgrade to Geno Smith unless there's something there with Smith that has changed since we last saw him as a, a regular contributor in this Jets offense. It definitely would hurt Marshall, I think. But for some reason, Eric Decker has this thing where like he's great with terrible quarterbacks. He, like he, he was he was really productive with Tim Tebow, too. He was really productive at the University of Minnesota. Yeah, he played it. What was that? Like Adam Weber or something? Adam Weber was one of those quarterbacks. We should bring in the real J.R. Anderson for this conversation. Yeah, was, Marquise Gray was a get, quarterback back then. I don't know if he was when uh, when Decker. I think he was after Decker, actually. But uh, we don't have our company chopper to bring in James Anderson. So we're just going to have to make irresponsible guesses about this history. But yeah, uh, and all the, all the, also like Eric Decker doesn't really have like the high price that Marshall does. Like he goes quite a bit later. So you, you won't get, you won't get your roster tanked by going after Decker. I think regardless of who's passing, but Marshall's value is, is, is based on this assumption that he's going to repeat last year. And he's not going to repeat last year. If it's, if it's not Fitzpatrick, it won't, he won't repeat last year anyway. But even if, especially even if Fitzpatrick's there, like, it's not going to get better. So if Geno Smith is a downgrade, I can see Marshall dropping into like the eleven hundred yard range instead of like the fourteen hundred, thirteen hundred everybody's expecting. So I get destroyed in the NFFC every single year. Like I, I never do well. But the fact that Keenan Allen and Mike Evans are lumped with essentially the exact same ADP as Brandon Marshall is pretty crazy to me. And that Elshon Jeffries right there too. Like, to me, Elshon Jeffrey versus Brandon Marshall is a no-brainer favoring Alshon Jeffrey. Oh yeah, for sure. Um I mean, I would also take I would take Alshon over and Demarius Thomas for this year over like Amari Cooper too. But yeah, Mike Evans, I mean, not to go off subject, why is he that far down? He's going to be really good. Um anyway, the TDs. Yeah. No, I I was, I was talking to to Liss about this. I think he was bringing up the concerns about Mike Evans touchdowns from a year ago. Like that was that was the the primary That's the concern. last thing I'm concerned about. Like I'm, I'm, I'm the only thing I'm concerned about with Evans is if there's like some kind of off the field concern that I don't know of. And I don't have any reason to think that any such thing is the case. Cause otherwise they would have added receivers in this off season, which they didn't do. So I don't, I don't get it. Like the, the touchdown, the low touchdown count was a fluke. It happened in, in the presence of a rookie quarterback on a team with kind of questionable head coach that has since been outed to give an, a promoted role to the offensive coordinator who oversaw Matt Ryan's best seasons in Atlanta. I, I think anyway, pretty clear to me that Mike Evans is being undervalued, but if he's going in the same range as Brandon Marshall, 
that's that's a nice edge if you can get on the right side of that scenario. Yeah, the size and athleticism combo for Mike Evans just is such that you you have a hard time passing up on him. I mean, he, and the role. Uh, yeah, there should be a ton of targets for him, and Jameis Winston should be better in year two than he was in year one. He wasn't bad in right. year one. Like that's the he's probably going to be thing. really really good, and it might be as soon as this year. And if he is good, it will be because. It'll be it'll show up in the form of Mike Evans's production, not Vincent Jackson's. By the way, when we're talking about size and athleticism, I think people tend to, I don't know, fail to correct or adjust the expectations accordingly for a guy who's six five and two hundred and thirty pounds right. as Evans is. Like a four five three forty, it's not that it's not bad. Like if you're if you're that big, like right. you don't have to be as much of a burner as a guy who's six one or six two. Right. And he, he is very athletic. Like he, he's not as fast and explosive as Vincent Jackson was back in the day, but he's got a better skill set, I think. So I, I think Mike Evans is a candidate for like 1400 yards and like 16 touchdowns this year. Last year, this was the official podcast of uh, the Danny Woodhead fanboys this year. It might, might be the one uh, that's official for Mike Evans fanboys based on uh, the early conversations we have had. Uh, anything else about the Jets that that is relevant to the conversation? Well, Jason Morrow is not the worst uh, late in the draft lottery ticket at tight end. He caught he's he at least knows how to run routes and catch a football, uh, even if he's not necessarily like you know a standout talent. And who knows, maybe he'll in function emerge as their third receiver. I don't know. Matt Forte still. Oh yeah, I like him. Tank. He's going pretty cheap. I think. Uh, I know he does. He probably doesn't have a high upside at his age and in that offense. And with, uh, you know, a couple running backs nipping at his heels there. But I still feel like I see he's up to 12 now in that 180p. That sounds about right to me. I would still take LaShawn McCoy, DeMarco Murray, probably Carlos Hyde over him. But if you can get him as an RB2, I would be pretty happy with that. So let's talk uh, the NFC East. Look at these teams and and get a feel for what's really changed uh, on that side. We'll start with the Giants. We were just in New York. Easier uh, to just kind of pop on the subway and change yeah, offices i think so uh eli manning still under center of course rashad jennings the lead back atop the depth chart paul perkins and shane vereen both in the mix now behind andre williams i think that depth chart will change sooner rather than later bobby rainey also in the mix uh, the giants drafted sterling shepherd victor cruz is still there i just don't expect him to come back it'd be a nice story if he did but i, I think after a completely lost year uh, it might be time to uh, go ahead and write him off completely and then of course you got odell beckham doing what he's done through two years. Uh, hard to find players that have matched that production. I think he's kind of in a class of his own as far as the output to begin a career. Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't think there's anyone even close, really. It, like like Randy, Randy, Randy Moss. Moss is the closest yeah. thing we've seen. It's just it's amazing that Beckham does it with so much less in terms of size compared to Randy Moss, who is just physically a complete freak. Uh, at tight end, it's still Larry Donnell. So you look at this offense. Uh, ben McAdoo is now the head coach. Of course, he was previously the offensive coordinator, so not a lot should change as far as the scheme goes but i wonder how much of the running back clown show as i'd like to call it that the giants were rolling out there last year was the result of coughlin or was that mcadoo not really being able to make a decision or was it a personnel based problem that paul perkins may ultimately solve well i think darqua is a nice off the bench runner and i think bobby rainey has shown that he can be like a very good backup and okay spot starter at running back so Andre Williams has been terrible. I, I would imagine they gave him, you know, touches out of the, the, the misguided reasoning of like, Oh, well we spent a fourth round pick on him. So we got to get, we got to keep giving him chances. And, uh, 
yeah, but he, I expect him to get cut. Shane Vereen, they're, they're going to need to keep around probably just to kind of function as like their third wide receiver. Or, I don't think Victor Cruz is going to really be anything more than he, I feel like he's going to be like borderline healthy scratch level of effectiveness. Uh, even if he stays healthy coming back, it's just something that I literally do not know of one successful comeback from a torn patella tendon. And I would, I would actually like to know if there's some out there that I'm merely missing, but I know for, we got the Victor Cruz and we got, uh, who is it? Uh, Jermaine Crowell, who back in like 98 had a, had a really great start to his career with the, with the, the lions got hurt, torn patella, never came back really. And then, uh, Ryan Williams, the running back from Virginia tech, who was originally in Arizona and then couldn't make the Dallas roster last year. Uh, it's just not, a. it's not, it sounds like the, basically the worst injury you can have outside of something that's just like horrendously debilitating because like we're already past ACLs pretty much. Uh, even we're having instances of micro fractures, not being a big deal anymore, apparently, but patella tendon is just still, there's no success story from it. And so it's a three receiver offense. Odell's obviously going to be spectacular um, but yeah, otherwise it's Sterling Shepard. And then I feel like they're going to need Vereen to basically play a receiver for them. Um, which means there should be room for four running backs on the roster instead of, you know, three, like some teams go with, I fully expect Paul Perkins to make the roster despite being a fifth round pick. And I expect him in the, out of the current personnel group to eventually emerge as the best one. Uh, with that said, Rashad Jennings did a pretty good job last year. I think he just gets hurt a lot, but I think he'll emerge as the clear leader in that backfield. And, uh, you know, as long as if they don't add people in the upcoming off seasons who are better than Perkins, I think he'll eventually emerge as the starter. And in the meantime, he's a good late round lottery ticket just in case Jennings gets hurt because we know they're not going to give carries to Vereen and Darkwa and Rainey are pretty limited. Yeah, Jennings is cheap, though. I like him for an early season target and maybe yeah. a guy that does lose touches the Perkins over time if, if he stays healthy. Uh, but he could also break down and, and kind of hand the job over Whew, that he's going, way. He's going behind guys like Theo Riddick in that NFFC ADP. That is amazing. Yeah, that's a, that's that a really, really nice bargain for a guy that could actually see more carries. They might consolidate the touches a little bit in uh, New York. Uh, moving on to Washington, Kirk Cousins betting on himself as far as looking for a multi-year deal. Uh, after this season, of course, played very well in the second half, especially of 2015. Uh, the running back situation is kind of ugly. I mean, Matt Jones comes in as the incumbent starter. You're probably going to see a lot of Chris Thompson hype uh, late in PPR drafts because he's going to be a pass catching option for them. And then you've got Mac Brown, Keith Marshall, a few other names there. We talked about Marshall, I think, on last week's XM show. I mean, this is a guy that was stuck behind Todd Gurley and Nick Chubb at Georgia. So, Injuries have been a problem for Keith Marshall, but at the same time, low mileage and a lot of upside if he gets the opportunity. Yeah, I have to believe his knee didn't test or didn't check out so great during the medical checks at the combine because otherwise, you know, speed like his pedigree like his goes higher than the seventh. But if he can stay healthy, I don't have I cannot imagine a scenario like a single one where he doesn't emerge as clearly better than Matt Jones. I think Chris Thompson might actually be good. And might be able to kind of take the lead there. But to me, Matt Jones is just a plotting guy whose fantasy value is just hinged on the fact that Jay Gruden and the Washington GM really like him a lot and are invested in him after taking him three rounds earlier than anyone thought they would that he would go. So he's going to get more opportunity than anybody else. And he's he's going to get favoritism. Just point blank, he's going to get favoritism. And it's often pretty hard to break through like coaches just on, you know, arbitrary preferences like that. Look at the receiving core. You got Deshaun Jackson, Pierre Garcon, now Josh Doxson, Redskins first round pick. 
uh, really strong at the top, which bodes well for Cousins in his bid to go get paid. I mean, he's got pretty good weapons, knee factoring the tight ends. Jordan Reed, Vernon Davis ended up in Washington in case. Oh, wow. uh, forgot about that. I got forgotten about that too. And then Niles Paul. So they're pretty well stocked at both tight end and receiver. So this is a team that by necessity, if the defense isn't very good or if the running game is ineffective, one or both of those things could lead to a pretty high volume most weeks for Cousins and the passing game. Yeah, I remember reading stuff like people were speculating that they might get rid of Garcon eventually. Even if they do that, I really like their pass catchers. Like Deshaun Jackson is really good. He's probably underrated, I think. And Josh Doxson, I think, is just awesome. I think he was going to be good right away. Uh, the question is only like how many targets is he going to get? So if, if Garcon is there, Doxson isn't so interesting. But if Garcon is gone, I like Josh Doxson's chances of ending up as a top 40 fantasy receiver. Jamison Crowder. I, I was pretty low on him coming out of Duke, if only because his, his workout numbers were just so bad. Uh, but he he was pretty great last year, so he looks like he's going to emerge as a, as a totally good slot receiver for them. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about the tight ends later on, but I think the, the main takeaway is that Jordan Reed is just being priced up like crazy for he's a guy that has a, an extensive injury history. I mean, the next concussion he receives might be the last time we see him on the field. Like, it, yeah. it's got to that point with Jordan Reed. Considerable talent a very very talented player uh, but a guy that i think you really have to be careful with at his current price i don't think i'm going to have him anywhere unless there's some kind of discount uh, from from that unless maybe it's an auction scenario or something like that but right. be careful in that situation let's take a look at the cowboys tony romo uh, after like his 14th clavicle fracture is back uh, i mean should be the guy all year question is always going to be keeping him completely healthy zeke elliott i mean a highly coveted rookie running back taking over that backfield is it going to look like the dallas backfield from two seasons ago i mean ezekiel elliott versus 2014 demarco murray is that actually the kind of, of ceiling elliott can have in that offense yeah i've i've by now convinced myself to rank him in number one in my personal running back rankings over Gurley and Lavian bell and I, I would normally have bell there if, if we didn't have concerns about his knee but we do have those concerns, and the thing the thing about Elliot is the the only the single the only argument anyone can make for like not ranking him that high is that like oh, well he's a rookie and he's unproven, and to me it's like the, it comes down to well we saw what Darren McFadden can do last year in that offense he was like without Tony Romo in the offense he was like a he was like a what high end running back too yeah um I think I think Ezekiel Elliott's the beginning of his career is going to resemble something like Edgerrin James's in Indianapolis and Edgerrin James was the 5th overall pick if I remember maybe it was like 3rd. Anyway, he went ahead of Ricky Williams very high and in his first year he was like a 1500-yard rusher, like 500-yard receiver type of player and I think Ezekiel Elliott is at least that. Like I think he's his, he didn't he wasn't as fast in a straight line in, in testing as Edgerrin James was at the time but um, I, I expect basically a similar yield, if only because of that offensive line there. And if Tony Romo stays healthy 16 games, Ezekiel Elliott could score like 20 plus touchdowns. Like that's he, that's what that role really could do. And I I think even if Romo gets hurt, you have to like his chances of finishing top five at the position. So without the durability worries of Bell and without the the, the worry about the surrounding offense, like truly coming down on him like you do with Gurley. 
Um, I, I, I do like, I think Ezekiel Elliott is a justifiable first running back off the board. So I'm of, high. I, mean, I couldn't be higher, really. There's a lot of bounce back potential in this team when you consider a healthy Des Bryant could be something they have throughout this season. I mean, he's they're perilously thin. But yeah, if everybody stays on, if everybody stays healthy, especially Des and Romo, they, they can be very good with that offensive line just stomping on people, especially in that division, too. You still don't look at the East as one of those you know, tough divisions. It looks kind of like last year where it's pretty wide open uh behind des this is this is what doesn't make any sense how do you not upgrade the options behind him it's still terrence williams oh they they, didn't they give cole beasley like a pickup truck full of money yeah they gave him a pretty big extension for somebody who i don't think really needs to be on an nfl roster like I, i think lucky whitehead's a better player but I don't know. It's it's it is it is a little disappointing to see how badly Dallas has mismanaged their receiver rotation. Like Terrence Williams probably shouldn't be more than a fourth receiver. Uh, he's been productive, but I mean, it's it's all about Romo. Romo makes almost anybody at receiver look quite good. As we remember, Laurent Robinson looked like an All Pro with him there. Uh, it's it's just Romo, and they they could have made everything so much better by giving Romo more like Des type talents, and instead they're like. Oh, well, we have Dez and like Terrence Williams and Cole Beasley. That's good enough when really Williams should be like a fourth receiver and Beasley probably shouldn't even really be on a team. So, yeah, when Dez is out that those points get exposed and like the offense comes to a halt, even with Romo there. So what happened to me in the Stopa Law Firm auction on Sunday? It's a two tight end auction. I bought Gronk, paid the freight, paid like 39 bucks for him out of the $200 budget. Awesome. Uh, tight end depth led me to save some money on the second spot. I ended up getting Jason Witten for three bucks and it's a half point PPR, not full point. So that's a little less than ideal, but I still feel like the floor, despite his age is crazy high because of the lack of other options behind Des. Like he's going to get his share of the looks because there's simply nobody else there. Yeah. And Tony Romo and him basically have like a telepathic link where Romo trusts him so much on, especially on like third downs and yeah, Witten's going to get heavily, heavily targeted. I don't think the efficiency is going to be there. And at this point in his career, you kind of worry, like, is, is he going to get brittle? He's he's 34. He's, and he's never missed a game. Yeah, he has. Uh, back in his rookie year, he missed, well, a, he missed, he, he missed well, the whole season, didn't he? No, he missed one game with a broken jaw. And then oh. he came back and played with his jaw wired shut for a few games. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's, he's incredibly tough. Um, but, no, uh, it's just like he's been playing so long. People forget he was 20 when he came into the – so this is his 14th or 15th year. Um, that's crazy. But anyway, um, yeah, the efficiency won't be there. The touchdowns probably won't be there, but he does have a sh- good shot at getting uh, like 75 catches. Yeah, 75 catches, and I think more like five or six TDs than the three that Hopefully. he had last year. I yeah. think with Romo, the whole offense will be more effective. They'll throw a little more in close. They won't be quite as boring this year as they were last year when, when Dez and Tony Romo were down. Things were very bleak. Yeah. Uh, this time uh, or not this time a year ago, but throughout last season, it was it was ugly. Like to, to watch Dallas most weeks last year felt like a punishment. I just yeah, I just skipped that. I didn't watch them. I, I mean, I was watching a lot of red zone. So right. the only game I saw in detail was one in the second half of the season against Green Bay. And I I fell asleep like I don't fall asleep during regular season NFL games. This was the middle of the afternoon. and I was just passed out on the couch because the game was that boring nice yeah it 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 was bleak i I, i've been bitter about because i'm a big tony romo fan for no particularly good reason i just i kind of i kind of like him because he's gotten such an unfair reception i feel like 
from the rest of the league or from the rest of, you know, general media and, and fan reactions. But uh, yeah, D- Jerry Jones is doing everything he can to waste Romo's, you know, precious time in the league. That uh, kind of sucks. Yeah. He's doing a good job wasting Tony Romo uh, closing out the NFC East. We have the Philadelphia Eagles, a team that of course took a beating from the mainstream media last year with Chip Kelly and, uh, and Kelly of course is now gone. He's in San Francisco quarterback situation sam bradford for now carson wentz probably in 2017 depending on how things shake out ryan matthews taking over as the lead back demarco murray is gone he's now in tennessee of course and at receiver it's still jordan matthews leading the way and then there's just not a lot to get excited about i mean nelson aguilar disappointed last year ruben randall to me was kind of a weird signing josh huff seems like just a guy maybe chris givens emerges to be kind of useful he's sort of fast right like there's yeah there's that he, angle. he can he can run fly routes and that's it flies are, are kind of good uh tight ends still got brent Selleck and zach Ertz there so you, you could see a path much like with dallas where the tight ends uh, are going to be heavily involved i don't why do we have Selleck ahead of Ertz on the depth chart is that just like a the way the eagles start games but Ertz is still the more valuable pass catcher um i, I think it's because we were following like a technically he's a starter kind of thing um, or maybe like the official depth chart had him first, but yeah, I mean, Selig's a really good tight end. He's way better in real life than in fantasy, but it's, it's like, that's just because he was such a valuable blocker for Philadelphia that they didn't try to use him for, he, he had like a 900 yard, eight touchdown season, I think in his second year in the league way back in the day. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see if Selig gets an upgrade in like his passing, uh, passing work just with Peterson there not being, as particular about that the scheme as chip kelly obviously was but yeah Ertz will get a lot of work uh Aguilar can't really be worse than he was last year but he still might not be on the radar at all randall i kind of like as a very very late in like 14 team leagues lottery ticket pick in the last two rounds just because nobody's ever doubted his talent really it's just kind of like he's been just off all the time um so yeah maybe maybe he'll hit you know an age of at, at a certain point where he just it finally he starts to just do the little things better and so in a, in a pass happy offense i think i think the upside is there but yeah matthews is the main constant in the passing game Ertz second second most constant and i do like ryan matthews quite a bit it's just obviously the durability is not something to expect yeah i think you had a banking like 12 or 13 games instead of 16 if you get 16 it's a nice bonus if you get 16 you might like for how late he goes you just might like win your league for that yeah uh, but yeah it's there's a reason why he's going that late i remember when he was a rookie in san diego there were people taking him in the first round as a Oof. rookie and it, it didn't work out but there's there's a lot of talent there so I, I just i wonder how much they can get out of sam bradford as the quarterback too i mean doug peterson of course comes from the andy reed coaching tree with that we've seen alex smith be very competent in kansas city so if you think about Bradford that way, might just be passable and the volume might be there to the point where the production does exceed expectations. I was surprised to see this, by the way. Not only did Ruben Randall have a career high eight touchdowns last year, he had 8.9 yards per target. So a little bit Wait, more Ruben efficient. Randall at 8.9 per target? Yeah, it's better, much better than I would have thought. Previous two seasons, he was maybe, at 7.7. Maybe I'm 7. thinking of two years ago. Like I just, because yeah, I remember those days when he was getting like, oh yeah, that was two years ago, wasn't it? When it was, he was, he was getting a couple games where it was like, 18 targets for like six catches and uh, like 94 yards or something. Um, so yeah, last year, yeah, let's see eight. Yeah. Over eight yards a target. That is interesting. And he's still, he's, he's only turned 25 in May. 
like a lot of receivers don't really break out until they're like 27, 26. So yeah, I, I guess I do like Randall even more than I thought. And I apparently liked him more than most. I had buried him, but he's on the radar as a late lottery ticket. I think at the very least, I'm just yeah. not really sure if I have any sort of real expectation of using him. It's more of a, let's see what the first week or two looks like. And if I don't like what I see, then he's one of the first guys off the roster after the, se- after the season begins, but they, they just don't have a lot else. I, I like at the receiver no. position, kind of a, an ugly state of affairs right now in Philadelphia. What's going to wrap things up for the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast? Again, our first episode of 2016. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or any other platform that you're listening on. If you can leave us a review, we'd greatly appreciate that. We're going to be back on Monday. Full host rotation uh, will be announced then. We're kind of working out the final details, but have a great weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday. that by the foot there's no better ride than an old station wagon room for six people facing forward two people facing backward and a whole lot of luggage lumber and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof if you can parallel park that beast you can park anything and with some quality parts and a little napa know-how you can keep your land ship running longer stronger it's not obsolete it's a rare treasure that's napa know-how napa know-how